0: We know that we are compelled by Christ to move beyond just these four walls as a church. And we want to be a church that continues to look beyond our walls with the love of Jesus to bless the socks off this community. And as a church, we feel led to be a church that is for the good of our city. Welcome to Ascent. My name is John. I'm the pastor of Discipleship and Connection here. I'm delighted to be with you this morning. And uh, all the people in the room, I'm gonna give you a secret word this morning that we're gonna explore together. How does that feel? Does that feel good? We're gonna work through a secret word. And we're in a series currently uh, discussing and exploring the concept of paradox. When two seemingly contradictory things collide, what happens? And as I age... What I've discovered is that when two things that seem like opposites collide, it actually can lead to a deeper truth. That's the beauty of paradox. And so much of what we read about in the scripture is centered in paradox. As we look at God, explore God, concepts around theology, there's so much paradox when you actually look at the text. But that paradox, when it creates something together, it can be very magical and take us into a deeper truth. And so we're going to explore a particular word that holds something very deep. And we're going to explore this concept of heaviness and lightness, heavy and light. And heavy can feel overwhelming. Heavy can feel like a lot, like, oh, that's heavy. Or, or, or heaviness can feel like, I need to take this matter very seriously. Light, on the other hand, can feel light and restful and peaceful. But also the other dynamic of light is that light can shed things and expose what's going on underneath the surface. So there's all these different nuances with words like heavy and light. And we're gonna explore a word this morning called repent. Aren't you glad you came this morning? You braved the cold. We're gonna talk about repentance. And that repentance, this word, can feel both heavy and light, especially if you've been taught to interact with the word in a certain way. But I wanna jump into this word because I think inside of this word, there's something really beautiful. But before I do that, I wanna read a statement by Jesus. And this statement is what I would call Jesus' inaugural mission statement. This is his inauguration speech. And he gives this statement. And then after he gives this statement in Mark, over in Matthew's gospel account of the life of Jesus, Jesus then jumps from this statement and he goes into what is called the Sermon on the Mount, which I would refer to as his kingdom manifesto. So he gives the statement then the kingdom manifesto, right before the manifesto in Matthew chapter five, Jesus gives us a list of beatitudes. And the beatitudes are like the preamble to the constitution of the government of God. So when we think about the beatitudes, we read, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are peacemakers. And Jesus says, these are the kinds of people that are actually going to dig what I'm about in the world. These are the kinds of people that are going to deeply resonate with what I'm up to In the world. So Jesus begins his mission in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Read along with me. It says, The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, in February, we're going to jump into a series discussing what is the gospel. And we're going to unpack the gospel, the implications of the gospel based out of this one statement by Jesus, because this particular statement is loaded with what the good news actually is. And it may surprise you, but for this morning's purposes, our secret word, like I said, is repent. And so we're going to step into the concept of repent and feel the paradox of this word, both heavy and light, both seriousness and also the rest that we experience when we step fully into this beautiful expression of the invitation of Jesus. So I want to focus on repentance. And I'm wondering when I, when I say the word repent, I wonder what it brings up in you. How have you been taught to interact? I wish we could have a discussion right now where we all could talk about how we were taught to interact with this particular word. Because it can feel very weighty. It can also feel very condemning. Like, you know what you need to do? You need to repent or perish. Like if I don't repent, then I cease to exist. That feels heavy. But there's also a lightness to it, that Jesus' invitation into repentance actually leads to light and more joy and more goodness. It comes from this Greek word, metanoia. And metanoia means to put on a new way of thinking, a new mind, a new way of seeing reality. And so repentance can take on the aspect of dealing with the human brain. I wanna see things differently. I wanna see what's really real and step into a deeper sense of reality. But I want to take us even deeper and into a Hebrew word, and the Hebrew word is teshuva. Can you say that with me on three? Ready? One, two, three. Teshuva. You got to say it from your stomach. Ready? One, two, three. Teshuva. All right. Teshuva is the word. Teshuva comes from the Hebrew understanding of repentance, And for those of you in the room who have been on a circle journey, where you've been in a circle experience here at Ascent, we've talked about this word and the nuances of this word, the beauty of teshuva. And this teshuva, the reason why I want to focus on this, because it begins with the affirmation that human beings are good. That's where it starts, that starting point. Teshuva begins with the affirmation that human beings are good. Are good. Years ago, I was introduced to a, a psychotherapy called uh, internal family systems. It's a type of modality, and in internal family systems, this particular modality, it has really uh, helped bring healing into my own life, but also into the lives of other people. And I've met a few therapists here in this community who practice internal family systems. And at the core of internal family systems. What it is striving to do is to help people heal by getting in in touch with parts of themselves that have been exiled or put away, things that we don't wanna look at, like our inner child parts. And so what it seeks to do is to get in touch with those pieces of us that we don't know what to do with or that have been there for a long time and seeks to heal and bring those exiled parts back into wholeness and fulfillment. It also teaches, and I think this comes out of this word teshuva, that we all as human beings have a true essence. There's a true part of who we really are. This is the innate sense of goodness that exists in us as human beings. This core self, internal family systems calls it self-energy. I call it the true self. The scriptures refer to it as that true self that we exist in the image and the divine bearing of God. And this core self, according to IFS, has... uh, categorized itself with eight C's. And I want to read these eight C's to you and see how this feels in your body. But your true essence, who you really are as a person is calm, connected, curious, compassionate, creative, courageous, confident, and full of clarity. That's you. That's me. That's us. All of those words spinning around inside of us, giving a display of who we really are as people. And as I continue to age and walk with God, what I'm discovering as I get in touch with that true essence is that there's a deep knowing that exists inside of all of us as human beings. That we came into this world with a deep knowing that we are connected to God. We are connected to everyone around us. There is a deep sense of connectedness that pre-exists inside of us. And as we come into the world, that connectedness is there, that deep kind of knowing. So I want you to picture this with me. When you come out of the birth canal, I'm sorry, you can't probably experience that. You have no recollection of that. But as you come into the world, as soon as you come in with your primal screams, kicking, breathing, what the heck is happening, your life begins to enter onto a path. You have a path that you have to walk. Every one of us in this room has a path. And that path, we we use terminology like this is what it means to walk with God on that path, walk with others on that path. It might be your purpose on the earth, but discovering that path. But we're all called to walk our particular path. And as we learn how to walk that path, that gets in touch with that true essence of who we are, that calm, connected, curious, creative, compassionate part of our human existence. But very early on, when we begin to walk that path, every one of us, nobody is exempt from this, we violate our true essence. And it's like what comes along is we spray graffiti on ourselves. We get sprayed with graffiti, like our true essence gets sprayed and covered up by the things that we do or the things that are done to us that are out of our control and we get sprayed and the things inside of us, this true essence gets covered up. We get hurt and then we hurt others and we participate in destruction. We lie, we steal, we cheat, we sin. We do all of these things that bring chaos into the life and we experience splitness. And then what happens is we learn the art of self-deprecation. And some of us are really familiar with that art, aren't we? Self-deprecation. And some of the common narratives that I hear as I sit and listen to people and hear the common narratives that are going on inside of the human existence is, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not important. I'm not competent. I'm inadequate. I'll never get what I want. And people are not interested in what I have to say. Right? That's a common narratives that exist in all of us as people. And here's the deal. When we take these false narratives and we start to believe these as reality, what it does is it takes us off the path and puts us out into the deep weeds. And then we find ourselves off the path, we're experiencing splitness, we're experiencing separateness. And then we have what are called moments of enlightenment or aha moments where we realize I'm not on the path any longer. And then we enter back onto the path and we feel that connection and calmness as we get back on the path. But life is extremely complex. And one of the things that pulls us off the path is fear. Fear is a great characteristic that pulls us away from the path or this false sense of control and certainty that we believe we operate with. Those things can tend to take us off the path, but life is full of aha moments where you say, you know what, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not not going to participate in this bitterness any longer because it's not working. And you start to hear that word, Teshuvah, Teshuvah. And it says, come on back home. Come back to the path. Come back to who you really are. You simply have forgotten who you are. Get back on the path. Teshuvah is interwoven with that true core essence of who we are as human beings. This ancient Hebrew word means, it comes from the root word shuv, and that means to turn But if you go deeper in it, it means to return. Now, that raises a question for me. When I look at a word that calls us to return, it's like, well, return to what exactly? Is it like we've been taught return to God, return to obedience? Is that what it is? Or is there something even deeper that's going on in the root of this word, to return to something? And then I read a text like Psalm 34, 14 that says, turn from evil and do good, seek peace and pursue all that it represents. That's Teshuva. to turn from evil, to turn from the graffitied self, all that stuff that takes us off the path, those false narratives, seek peace, pursue it with everything you got inside of you because you know that you're already connected to the divine. So Teshuva calls us back to our core and you begin to remember in those moments, who I am as a person is I'm calm, curious, compassionate, confident, courageous, creative, and I'm connected. That's teshuva. Teshuva takes two things very seriously. The fact that your fundamental goodness as a human being is always there. And then the other side of that, this is where the paradox comes in. The parts of you that have been hurt, wounded, and exiled, those two are wrapped up in the human soul. So we're both. We're both connected and we're both wounded. That's the paradox, and that's where wisdom starts to come into play. Those parts of you that have been hurt and wounded have been created by you in order to make sense out of your life. And those parts of you that you created to make sense out of your life are doing everything they can to protect the exiled parts of you. And what Teshuva does is it takes very seriously our greatness and our brokenness and it weaves both of them together. That's the wisdom of paradox. They're not opposites, but when they come together, they take us into something deeper. Now friends, I've, I've been part of this system, the church system for 55 years. I grew up in it, my dad was a pastor. And one of the common things that I observed over my life by being part of church and various different kinds of churches over the years, is that it seems to me like in these religious religious communities, we do this thing called a sin contest, where we refer to ourselves as the chief of sinners, to use a biblical term, right? There are times when I've heard people say, I'm probably the worst person in the room. Can we do a contest this morning to discover who the worst person in the room is? And he volunteers, But there's this sense of which I'm the worst. I'm the worst. I'm the most sinful one in the room. And what I love about Teshuvah is that it holds that paradox so beautifully. I'm both. I'm both connected. And yet there's parts of me that are broken and hurt. There are parts of me that I'm doing everything I can to hide and conceal. Yet at the same time, not denying the pain and the brokenness and all the things that we do to create chaos in the world and the narcissistic tendencies that we have inside of us. Teshuva doesn't shy away from any of it. And when you take the seriousness of this word, the heaviness of the word, repent, and the lightness of the word, Teshuvah, they collide. And then Teshuvah is the full expression of that beautiful word. This word is loaded with an incredible amount of potential and deep goodness. And yet at the same time, it's not denying that those hard parts actually exist. Teshuvah is not afraid to look at all of it, the whole thing. Because, and I want you to hear this, when you are fully Teshuvahed, your fundamental identity is never threatened. When you are fully saturated in that idea of returning back to your path, it's never threatened. When you take responsibility for the part that you played in the hurt of others or in the chaos or the disintegration of relationship and fully acknowledge that those parts of you actually exist, but also understanding that those parts of you were attempting to protect bits and pieces of your exiled parts, that you were doing everything you could to survive in that moment. Before I came here, I've been here now, gosh, I don't know how long it's been, a year and eight months. And before I got here, I had been a a transitional pastor for a couple of years. And then I went up to Seattle and pastored a church for a year. And in those two situations, I got really railed. I mean, these humans tore me to shreds. I would come home sometimes, my face would be sheet white and it, would have had to, it was just a, a crap show. And then I went up to Seattle and it just disintegrated in a year. And after my time in Seattle, I had to go back to family in Southern California and take some time to heal. And what I did when I was in California is I was a wine tour guide. Now that is a good gig by the way. <laughs> but during that time, there's some healing that needed to take place inside of me. I was tired. And can I talk about the paradox of Bill and Beth for a moment? Talk about the ultimate paradox, Bill and Beth. <laughs> There's a, a gentleman who was part of the church I was at that was really upset with me. And he wrote a letter to Bill, just ripping me to shreds. Isn't that, is that right, Bill? And you didn't let me read it. Thank you for that, by the way. (laughs) But Bill's response is, Bill then teshuvahed me. He didn't shame me. He didn't condemn me. He didn't break me apart. I think I was honest and shared all the bits and pieces and the ways in which I flubbed it, which I fumbled the ball clearly. But they both, Bill and Beth in that moment, fully teshuvahed me. And I experienced that, hey, we got you. Just get back on the path and let's continue to walk with God and walk with people. But that's the beauty of teshuva, to be a kind of community that we teshuva one another. Hey, get back on the path. Get back on your path. You've you've wandered off into the deep weeds. And what I've realized over the years inside of my own life and as I've sat with countless people over the years is the beauty of this internal family system psychotherapy is that it's helped people identify what they would call managers inside of your body. You have all these different characters and they're managers. And the role of a manager is to protect those exiled parts of you, those parts of you in your childhood where you experienced trauma. And those parts tend to get frozen in time. And then managers, the role of a manager is to protect those parts. And so when those parts get hit or triggered or something comes up, those exiled parts, managers do what you think they would do. They manage. They manage your hurt. They manage the pain. They want to keep that part of you put away and safe, and they get triggered. And managers then sometimes step aside, and then they introduce what are called firefighters. And firefighters, by their very name, you, you can imagine what they do. And they come in in the heat of the moment, and they protect and so you have all of these different pieces inside of your life. You've got these exiled parts and managers and fire farties, fire farters. <laughs> that, was, that was the best moment of, of the day right there. What is a fire farter, by the way? <laughs> a fire fighter. That's the secret word for the day, Firefighter. <laughs> well, it's been good having this job. I think I'm... Uh, I think I'm out, Bill. Been good working with you, brother. <laughs> but that firefighter, <laughs> wow, how do you bring it back? That firefighter steps in to protect those exiled parts of who we are as people. And who we are as people really is our core. And what Teshuba does It's that utterance of getting back to your core, get back to you, get back to you. This is why Colossians 3 has been such a pivotal text for me because in Colossians 3, we are reminded that it says, your life, the very life that you are living is now hidden in Christ. You are in Christ and Christ is in you. You are no longer the sum of all of your parts. You are now in Christ and Christ is in you. You are one. That is radical oneness that we get to step into. Christ in you, you in Christ. And this mode of operation is entirely different. And it's an entirely different way of being in the world because every one of us is attempting to get back onto the path, that path of oneness and connection. I oftentimes refer to this as Christ consciousness, where the very thinking, living, breathing way of Jesus becomes a part of who we are in our consciousness. And it shapes and forms how we move through the world that your core, the true part of who you are, is already connected. You're already in. And yes, when you begin to wander off the path and go into the deep, weeds, what Teshuba does is it pulls you back to your true essence. There's no need to beat yourself up anymore. There's no need for that. There's no need to beat up yourself, but to ask yourself the question when you step off the path and get into the heat, those weeds, just to say to yourself, I have forgotten who I am. I forgot. Get back on your path. Sing your song." connect. Get back to your roots, back to that Genesis 1 narrative that we all came from, that we're no longer living these lives of separateness, but we have everything we need in Christ. Teshuva is the ultimate paradox because it begins with the starting point that all humans are good. That is you, that is me, that is us. Sure, you've been graffitied, Things have been sprayed over and covered up and there's been all sorts of things where you've wandered off really far, but there's no such thing as wandering off too far or there's no such thing or it's, it's too late because teshuva always brings us back. Yes, it's gonna be hard and heavy. Yes, that's the paradox of it. Going back to your exiled parts is difficult. Your managers and firefighters will do everything that they can to protest because they're seeking to protect those parts need to be unburdened. And what Christ can do is come into those burdened parts and lighten the load, to Shuba all of it. Because they're simply doing their work to protect you. But let me ask you this question. What if it's good to be human, friends? What if it's good to be a human being? What if we already have everything that we're looking for? Love, what if we already have it? What if it's already there? We're already connected. It's just that it's buried deep down inside and covered with graffiti. If we could say to one another in all of our various parts, hey, teshuva, teshuva to your parts, to your herd parts, to your managers, to your firefighters, teshuva, to all of those bits and pieces. It's the invitation to return to what we've already been. It's the invitation to come home, back to our true essence. Let's return to what we've already been. No more proving, no more manipulating, no more trying to predict the future, no more pretending, no more hiding, no more trying to impress people. Because if you think about the implications of teshuva and how we talk about ourselves and how we talk about one another, Lots of people don't have teshuva in their thinking. My suggestion and invitation for us this morning is let's take teshuva and drop it into the container called your life. And let's spread teshuva in this place as we learn how to interact with one another to realize that all of us are in recovery. We're all in the process of returning. Let's create space and grace for people to get back on the past so that they can truly be who they were designed to be because teshuva always gets in your face and says, you're better than this. You're better than this. You're settling and you know it. You're numbing, you're hiding and you don't have to anymore. Teshuva, you are a miracle. You are a beautiful combination of skin and bone and blood and sweat and tears and anger and all of it. That's you. You're a human being and human beings are beautiful, come back home. Let's take a minute and just rest on that word. If you wanna close your eyes, if you wanna just look straight ahead, whatever is more comfortable for you. And let me say this, to this side of the room over here, to every part, every piece Teshuvah to you. To all of you who came in feeling heavy and light in the paradox of life, Teshuva to you. And to all of you who live in the question and wondering what's coming next, attempting to predict the future, I say to you, teshuva come on back home. And to all of you, teshuva, to all your mistakes, all your flubs, the ways in which you just screwed it up, teshuva to you. Repent. Come back home. Grace and peace be with you, my friends.